Welcome to the pop-up podcast series, Magic and Mayhem. Discover the secrets to creating magnificent books for kids and teens. Magic and Mayhem is a free podcast and ebook series brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses. If you're interested in writing for kids and teens, this is the place to be. So join us on this journey and download your free ebook at magicandmayhem.com.au. It contains so many insights from all of the authors featured in this series, and you'll learn so much for your own creative writing process. Download your free ebook at magicandmayhem.com.au. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm founder of the Australian Writers' Centre. This episode, we're talking to Gabrielle Tozer. Gabrielle is a journalist and an award-winning author of young adult novels, and just recently, she's published her first picture book. When I spoke to Gabrielle in this interview, her debut novel, The Intern, had just come out. Well, since then, she's published another two young adult novels, including the sequel to The Intern and a picture book. And in 2019, her first middle grade novel will be released. Gabrielle's experience as a newbie writer in this interview will resonate with anyone starting out on their journey. Enjoy. Thanks for joining us today, Gab. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, your book, The Intern, is fantastic and it has become very, very popular. Before we get on to, you know, the process of writing the book and the marketing of the book, tell, just for some of the listeners who haven't read it yet, tell us what the book is about. So, The Intern is a young adult novel, so it's targeted at teen girls and older. Basically, it follows the adventures of Josie Browning, who's 17 years old. And she's a little little dorky, a little awkward, um, but quite lovable. And she manages to nab herself an internship at a glossy magazine. And it just follows her crazy adventures as she battles her way through that and has to deal with a powerful editor. Yeah, just a bit of fun, a, a bit of a fun read. And were you ever an intern at a glossy magazine? I've been in, I've done a lot of interning and work experience over the years at a number of different titles, but never one quite as glossy, I suppose, as the as the magazine that I've portrayed in the novel. But I have worked at those types of magazines. So there are some people who are obviously drawing parallels with the Devil Wears Prada. Uh, is it is it similar in that in that vein? Look, while it's really flattering that people have compared us because obviously it's both set in magazines uh this is a slightly younger story it's targeted at a younger audience and it doesn't have quite as much of a fashion focus it's it's more focused on the underdog and um her family background and suppose the love interests so there's definitely similarities in that it's set in magazines but i think it I think the similarities probably end there. But it is very flattering when people compare them. (laughs) Well, yeah, it got made into a movie with, you know, Meryl Streep. It's fantastic. Um, So tell us a bit about your background in magazines then. Just to sort of in a nutshell, what have you been working on in terms of your own career? Oh, look, in a nutshell, so I've been getting published in magazines for about 10 years, um, starting out in street press, like mainly 
music, entertainment journalism. And then once I got my first full-time job at a glossy magazine, that was at good old Disney Girl and Disney Adventures magazines. I was the chief sub-editor there. I went and moved into roles and writing for places like Dolly Magazine, Cosmo, I've written for Girlfriend, including um, a bunch of other mags as well, like Health and Lifestyle, everything from... Oh, goodness, everything from Mother and Baby to Prevention Magazine. So just racking up a lot of notches on, on the magazine belt. And when did you decide, look, I really want to turn my hand to fiction. And, and, and how did the book, The Intern, get started? What inspired it? Look, I'm one of those dags that's known that what they wanted to do is that from a really young age. So like, I've wanted to be an author since I was six years old, as well as being a journalist as well. I had a very ambitious young child. Um, so it's always been in the back of my mind. I studied journalism and creative writing at uni. Um, and I think it was just a matter of when I'd finally start, not if I would. So what happened was I actually met a uh, publisher at a course that I was doing and she was a non-fiction publisher so it didn't really, um, wasn't my cup of tea but we hit it off and she, without her telling me she actually recommended me to an, a fiction publisher and that's where this crazy adventure all began and next minute I found myself pitching stories and that's where the, um, that's when the seed was planted for the intern. I suggested the idea, they liked it and next minute I was writing sample chapters. Great. And so you just said that you were pitching stories. So was the intern one of several story ideas that you pitched to them? And did they say, okay, we actually like that one? Or how, how did that all come about? Right. So I didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket. This is like as a writing newbie. I wasn't quite sure how the whole process works. So I thought it was best to give them a few. So I pitched them, I think, three or four, all young adult. I think there's maybe one children's idea in there as well because my publisher looks after both. Mm. And they were all stories that I would have been really happy to write. Like I was passionate about all of them. And they came back and there was two that they loved the most. And the intern or what would soon become the intern was one of them. And then there was another one that they liked as well. Um, and then they said, look, we'd like, we'd be happy to see some sample chapters for either of these up to you. And so I asked myself what I felt ready to write. And that was definitely the intern. I think for my first novel, I jumped into that whole cliche of write what you know, but then I wanted to exaggerate that and have a lot of fun with it. Um, so it was a good place to start, but it was it was um, encouraging to know that there's other ideas beyond that that they're in, interested in as right. well. So, yeah, it was just very exciting process. So people are often interested in the actual process. So can you take us through when did that conversation occur, like when you pitched the story ideas to the publisher, they said, oh, look, we like these ones. And then how long did it take for you to write the sample chapters? And then once they said, said yes, how long did it take to write the book? And then, you know, when did it come out? So can you actually just kind of take us through the journey? Oh, yeah, this not wanting to scare anyone off how long the process is. <laughs> it's um, definitely not for the faint-hearted if you're impatient like me. I'm trying to cast my mind back. So it was, it all, this all began in 2011. Mm -hmm. However, I had met my, the publisher that began this years before that. We just stayed in touch. So 2011, I think it was about September or August that I pitched them some ideas. Yep really briefly, like a paragraph each. 
then they were like happy to hear about the intern. I wrote some sample chapters. They loved those. Um, next minute I knew I was how having to it, write how some long, more. How long did you take to write the sample chapters? I'm a bit of an all or nothing writer at times, so I bashed them out pretty quickly, I must admit. Probably it was within a month. Mm -hmm. It was four chapters that I um, – and look, it's – it's, there's not so much a formula you can follow because, you know, everyone's chapters are different lengths. But I just aimed for four, which from the top of my head, I think it was like seven or 8,000 words mm -hmm. and sent, and then edited them a lot before I sent them through. Um, having worked as a writer and as a sub-editor, I knew that self-editing before showing them was really important. So I got that sent off. Once they were happy to see more, I suddenly started self-sabotaging, was completely terrified by the process <laughs> and, need and needed them to set me a deadline. Like they were happy for me just to send in chapters whenever I was comfortable, but I'm so used to working to a deadline, I actually begged them to give me one. So the next minute I knew, they were like, let's get, let's get it through to us really soon. So I found myself pumping out an entire manuscript, which ended up being 80,000 words wow. within about five months, Wow! Um, which is crazy because I was working full time. And this is what I mean about not always, perhaps don't follow exactly what I do because it can be a bit all or nothing and all consuming. But then I spent about a year before showing them um, self-editing, maybe, oh. maybe, under, maybe, maybe under a year maybe more like eight, nine months, self-editing. Then I showed them and I, and I had to send it to them. Um, why did you take a year? I think it was about – Sorry to interrupt, but why did you take a year to, to go through that self-editing process, especially when it took you five months to pump it out? Because the reason it took me five months to bash out about 80,000 words because I follow the mentality of – write because you can't just write it because you can't edit it a blank page mm. so the writing was very raw and it needed a lot of work before it was ready to show anyone but it's kind of like I needed to that was me just getting my story out um so all up with like writing it and putting it together was probably like just over a year in total mm -hmm. and then I sent the manuscript to them in about June 2012 I'm trying to remember I'm trying to get my timeline straight I think I've missed my I think I've done something wrong here 2013 but, I, I think if you, if you yeah that 2013 makes sense well it mustn't I must have I mustn't have taken a year to edit it then because I yeah. in August 2012 I found out that they were going to buy it and then they offered me a Two book deal, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. So I must have mustn't have taken quite as long as I've imagined pumping out the editing. It just maybe just feels longer because the process has been going on, and considering it's been going since two thousand eleven, it's um all become a bit of a blur. Okay, so um, it's now two thousand and fourteen. When did the book come out? The book came out beginning of this year. Right. Um, so. Officially February first, but it it started appearing on bookshelves in January. So, so what happened in so two thousand thirteen? That was editing with them. Great. That was the editing. That was so. That was. This is the part of the process that I suppose you don't even think about before this whole journey begins. Is you write the book, you self edit it, you put it all together. And then it's almost like once they've read it, 
it's almost like the process begins again. And so, which I actually really enjoyed um, because you're working with wonderful, experienced editors who I had the wonderful uh, Nicola O'Shea, who's just a name in the industry. So I was very lucky to work with her. And basically, they then do a structural edit and that's when they mark up your book and it comes back to you covered in little pencil markings with suggestions, which you're allowed to decline, you're allowed to accept as well. And basically, your book is turned into a million puzzle pieces and shuffled around until it fits perfectly. Um, So 2013 was the year of the epic edit. It was... (laughs) intense it was intense I won't lie there was some there were some tough moments in there but what an experience and so once the structural edits down then there's another edit with proofreaders and then that goes on and on this is what I mean about it's a for one book if only you just have no idea I had absolutely no idea how many people were involved or how many stages are involved per person like it ends up being a cast of thousands I might get my name on the front but there's a lot of names inside for good reason that I think <laughs> did you think it was going to take that long to edit I didn't even know the whole thing caught me unaware to be honest like I think I was in shock for perhaps the ter- first <laughs> year of the process. <laughs> Um, and I'm working on the sequel at the moment and that's been an entirely different process as well like with a much shorter turnaround and timeline Um, but I think they were just comfortable like I think they were taking a chance on me Um, they didn't have anything to you know if it worked out it was good for them if it didn't work out then they didn't have to worry so I think we had the luxury of time Mm. and that's why despite being able to hand in my manuscript to them in 2012 they were happy to sign it because I wasn't on their cards for coming out until 2014. We had this luxurious year of editing and I'd I'd get kind of more time to perhaps do my turnarounds for proofing than I'll probably get for the second book. So I think it's just books, it's very much a case-by-case basis. Yeah, definitely. Is it hard to sustain your interest over such a long, drawn-out period, especially when you wrote it already in 2012? Look, I don't think it's, I don't find it hard to sustain my interest. I find it hard to sustain my energy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, um, Interest though, no, I think that's why, like I genuinely do love the world that I've created. It's a lot of fun and same with the character, like it's quite a lot of fun to write. So the the interest hasn't waned. You do get a little tired having to reread the same sentences over and over again and you lose perspective a little which is why it can be good to then get that distance from in between edits Mm -hmm. but I think I'm just lucky that I enjoyed the world I created although it's the energy the energy maintaining that energy over a couple of years is exhausting I still haven't quite worked out that secret yet when you first started did you know what was going to happen to your character as in did you know all the various plot points this is what was going to happen then you know and so on or did you kind of just um start writing and see what happens oh yes point two hundred percent I am what the lovely Alison Tate calls a pantser um probably not an extreme I'm not an extreme pantser so what my process is I get a notebook and I jot down as much as I 
off the top of my head, as much as I can think about the world, about the character, about scenes that I can imagine coming up. And usually my first few chapters are really cemented in my mind. So mm. I'm not a complete pantser. I just I don't open up a Word document and just begin. I kind of have a beginning. Um, but then once I've started writing, then I switch into pantsing mode and all kinds of marvellous, weird things start happening on the page. Um, every now and then I seem to run out and I've got nothing left. So then I get the notebook back out and do that process again. And that leads me to, that leads me in a direction. And what I've found, and who knows, my process could change over the years, but with both of these books, it's usually around halfway through that I start I get a real sense in my gut about what I want to happen at the end mm. and I just gently start steering it in that direction. Um, this process is good for me because as a former sub-editor, I am prone to perfectionism and overthinking and self-sabotaging. So, you know, wanting to perfect everything before it's you've even got the idea out. So this kind of helps me just to... I don't know, let it flow a little bit more, like, you know, turn the tap on, as they say. Sure. But what it does make difficult is there is a lot of rewriting at yeah. the end. Like, so once that first draft's done, there is a lot of rewriting to be done. So I'm sure that there's some happy medium that I'll learn <laughs> as I get older. Um, but well, obviously you're, doing, good time. <laughs> you're obviously doing something right because the book is done really well and I understand it's in reprint. Tell us about how the book has gone so far. Oh, look. It's been a wonderful year. I'm, oh, my head's up in the clouds, to be honest. I, I don't think you think past holding the book in your hands. Like I know I, I kind of was forgot that other people would be reading it. That, that sounds so ridiculous. But when you've wanted to do it for so long, it, you kind of start thinking about it selfishly. Like you just imagine yourself holding it and then all of a sudden you're getting tweets and emails and Facebook messages and selfies of people holding your book and it's, Oh, it's really quite strange. The feedback's been really great. Um, so I wrote this primarily with teen girls in mind. I love that readership. I love that demographic. But I've been really excited to see that there's people in their 20s, 30s, up to like their 60s reading it and just having having a laugh and, you know, unleashing their inner teen girl as well, which has been fun. Right. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been wonderful. I'm... I'm still just trying to wrap my head around the whole process, though, to be honest. And it's, it's been released in, in other countries? So, yeah, so far they've locked in um, the German world translation rights, which is really exciting. I was told that news last year. So, so that was before it had been in Australia. So the, a German version will, of the intern will be on shelves early next year. So that it'll come out the same time the sequel comes out in Australia and New Zealand. Um, so, yeah, that's really – I can't wait to see that that cover as well. I imagine it'll be a whole new, whole new thing. <laughs> yeah, so not only in German, it's already gone into reprint. Now, that is not least because you've – been quite clever in making sure that it gets out there that some you've, you've done some marketing for it can you tell us a little bit about that strategy so that maybe some other authors can see what authors can do to get the kind of exposure because you've got a lot of press for it so which is great tell us what how you think you've gotten all that press okay so I'll just start by saying that if you're with a publishing house then you will have a publicist so Absolutely, some of the things that have come for me have been through my publicist 
artists and my marketing team, they put together an amazing marketing campaign that helped me get a lot of press and a lot of interest from the blogging world. Um, however, having worked in the media for so long, I suppose I put my journalist hat on and thought, what would I like to receive as a journalist and what would help what would I consider putting in a magazine so I basically sat down and thought well first of all we'll need some nice photos so if I can point one would be get some really nice professional photos taken the kind that you can imagine running in a newspaper or a magazine because even if you've got the best story ever written if they if there's not an image to run with it and that'll really reduce your chances of being mentioned um get a great website going like it's this is one of those things where you have to pay for it as the author you know you have to i just sucked it up paid for it got a professional to do it i'm not a designer by any means and so you want to be able to send people to your website to find out more about you and include some kind of press kit on there as well with all the information um whether it's down to the synopsis of your book to the the price with more photos of you pictures of your cover just basically make it as easy for the media to write about you as possible think of everything that you'd include and and put it on this one page um and before the book comes out you need to remember that Media organisations, especially magazines and newspapers, but more magazines, have long lead times. So say your book's coming out in January, you need to start thinking about this back in October the previous year um, and maybe like just write a list down of places that you think are relevant to your book. Who are the kinds of people that are reading it? Um, Actually put together some kind of spreadsheet or document and the contacts and make sure your publicist has that like if they're able to take care of all this for you then that's wonderful Mm. if they're not then there's no harm in you putting together a little thing yourself and dropping them a line or following up perhaps on more on a more personal level but I think it's really important to target places appropriately Mm. so there's no point targeting a magazine like girlfriend if your book's targeted at 50 year old women so it's just really thinking about your audience and that's one thing that's really helped me I think it's kind of and you know you I've been declined by lots of places as well and you know same with my publicist like we've we've tried and you don't people don't always say yes but I suppose I suppose it's just like don't be afraid to hear no as well um because you'll never know what things will lead to. Like someone over here might say no, but then you might have done something else earlier and then someone else likes that. So they go, oh, we might cover her as well. And yeah, it's been, you've just got to put yourself out there, I suppose, and just be as professional as possible. And I know it's hard, like this marketing self-promo side, it feels very strange. But I think these days as an author, it is a hat that you have to wear. Mm. to build a profile, as weird as it feels. Like, I'd love to be able to just close down all my social media accounts and just, you know, hibernate. But I think it's just every Like, your readers are out online and they want to be able to talk to you <laughs> as well. So you've got to maintain that kind of, like, social media presence as well. But I will say just, I know I'm t- giving lots of information here, but I think you need to remember to bring value mm. to 
your social media as opposed to just promote, promote, promote. Of course. Um, I love how you speak yeah. about this whole thing, which is which is great. And it's so true. The writers can't just sort of sit in their in their garrets and, and, and write away. They need to actually be responsible for promoting themselves as well. So tell us what, when can we expect The Intern 2 and also what <laughs> are you working on now? Alrighty, so the sequel to The Intern, which there actually isn't a title yet, that'll hopefully be able to be announced later this year. Great. It'll be out early next year, out on shelves early next year, which I'm still in the um, the editing stage of that with my publisher, so that's exciting. A lot of work to be done, though. Um, and I have a another couple of ideas brimming away in my mind, so... I think I might be at that point that I was at back in 2011 where I'd send them off an email <laughs> with about four ideas and, and see what jumps out at them as well because I'm equally passionate about them all but I'm not quite sure which is the right one. So we'll okay. see if they can – yeah, so I've got a lot kind of going on but having written one book and edited a book and worked full-time all at the same time mm-hmm. last year, I'm a bit more conscious about the timing now. It's like – can't do everything, got to try and learn the art of work-life balance as well. <laughs> I think that, um, and maybe what we can do is end with your advice on that because a lot of people say, oh, look, I have a full-time job, I can't possibly write a book, but you did it. So what are your tips on that? When did you fit in time to write and what's your advice to people on how to be able to juggle that because that's reality in, when you're starting out? It is, and and it's a tough reality, and I don't think I quite knew what I was getting into, but it is worth it in the long run. So my first piece of advice would be you need a routine. Like as ideal as it would to be able to just write whenever inspiration strikes, that is not going to cut it if you want to meet your deadline for for a publisher or for you to be able to hand in a manuscript. So for me, it was in the mornings. This makes people sick. 5.30am, I'd get up, put in... (laughs) <laughs> put in about an hour or two before work and then I'd go and do a full day work then I'd have my nights off and then I'd work chunks of time on the weekend but still have still have my breaks so that worked for me the alarm would go off at the same time every day wow um and I just yeah so that was tough but it, it got it done um other people might prefer to do it after work if you're working full time but I, w- I just found I was too wiped um, yeah. to be able to do that. Um, so that's probably the main one. But I suppose it's one, for me, it's, I can look back and think of things that I wish I had done to make it easier as well. Um, so I think you still need to really look after yourself. Like it's easy just to throw your, everything into this one project, but you need to remember that, you know, you've got to still look after yourself, you've got to eat well, give yourself mm. energy, that kind of thing exercise that kind of dropped off for me when I think it actually would have helped me give me more energy throughout the process um and keep living your life like the more like if you've got deadlines it can be hard and you can um think oh I can't do that I I don't have time but you need to make sure you're getting new experiences and meeting new people and that type of thing to for future inspiration for stories and that so um the the search for balance is hard and it's something that Toward, coming towards the end of writing my second book, I think I'm still learning myself. I think it might take a while. As long as I'm having to juggle the two, the two lives, um, I think it it is a difficult one. I'm sure. But it, don't be afraid to ask for help as well. If there's people in your life who love you, don't be afraid to 
to let them know if you need an extra hand as well. Sure. Well, it's obviously working for you, Gab, So, um, because the intern's doing really well. Can't wait for the sequel. Um, and no doubt there'll be many other story ideas and books to come. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Val. It's been a pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our course, Pitch Your Novel, How to Attract Agents and Publishers, gives you practical steps to attract agents and publishers to your manuscript. Presented by author Natasha Lester, this course gives you a step-by-step guide on how to create the perfect synopsis and cover letter, find the right publisher, and deal with the offers you get for your book. Natasha shares the same steps she used on her novel that resulted in a bidding frenzy between four publishers. So now it's your turn. With our on-demand courses, you can learn in your own time with 12 months access to all course materials. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash pitch. Gabrielle talks about balance, and I think that can be one of the hardest things to find. Very few people have the luxury of just writing. We all have lives and jobs and all the rest of it. When's your best time to write? For Gabrielle, it was the mornings. I know for Alison Tate, it's late in the evenings when everyone has gone to bed. And then again, for a lot of authors, it's just snatched time. Five minutes here, 20 minutes there. However, you find your balance. I like what Gabrielle said. Don't forget to live your life. Yes, you have to make some sacrifices, maybe watch less TV or let the dishes pile up, but you also have to live your life, exercise, eat well, meet with friends, experience everything the world has to offer. It enriches your writing and gives you the energy to continue. You've been listening to Magic and Mayhem. If you would like to find your writing community, you might find your tribe over at writercentre.com.au. The best thing to do is to sign up for our weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au. See you there.